0: The Store the Roar is a podcast hosted by Michael Ball and features Lions broadcaster and former quarterback Julio Caravetta. Each week, this duo will tackle issues involving the BC Lions and the CFL. In each installment, they'll also highlight a player, coach, or builder at the amateur level in the province and take a trip down memory lane in the Lions Legends segment. Now, here's Balzi. All right, Julio Caravatta. we start Restore the Roar each week with you. You set the tone. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> what? what the hell happened with Mike Riley. Have you found anything out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. I think I got it. Uh,
1: so I think one of the things, Balzi, is that they, they had been trying all week to figure out the timing on freezing his elbow. Um, he's got bad tendinitis, and so they were trying to numb the pain a little bit so that it wouldn't be an issue. So I guess what they've been, what were, what they were trying to work out was the timing of when to do it so it would be the most effective to last through the game. So I guess what they did is they numbed it. It didn't, it didn't take effect. They numbed it again before the game. It didn't take. So then he started trying to throw, and it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So the third time they tried, it worked. And by that time, the rest of the numbing was taking effect. So that's what was happening with his hand. He couldn't grip the ball. Ah, So hence the reason why the ball was fluttering the way it was. Because wow. he couldn't feel his fingers.
0: Ah, okay, I get, I get. No, that ma- that makes a lot so, of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, I know in our rider broadcast, the guys were, and it wasn't just our rider broadcast, but people were talking about, oh, look at the BC Lions, they're already skirting the injury report. They should be fine because no. betters didn't know. Well, I no. said, I said, listen, they said he was limited. They said he had soreness. I think they were above board as much as they could be or should well, be. Yeah. There wasn't any attempt to be deceptive. Like they,
1: hey, I, you you know me. I would have like I would have said something to you like, hey, mm-hmm.
2: dude,
1: get ready because Rourke's gonna play. Um, you know because he, he hasn't. Every indication given to us from Mike to the coach to everyone was he was going to be ready to play. And then you you can see by the you know when you hear it about how the numbing wasn't taking effect, how they were, hey, let's, okay, let's do it again. Let's, it's, it's not taking hold. And then all of a sudden, you know, it all starts to kick in and now you have what you have. And then that's why at the, at the half, it went down the way it went, went down. But I, there was never any attempt to deceive anybody. Do you think that they would have <laughs> tried to hold that back? Like I just, yeah. Or waste
0: or, or a roster spot. Exactly. Exactly, all of it. That doesn't make sense. So, So let me ask you, as a Canadian quarterback that played in this league and had some quality reps, how proud were you as a broadcaster in the BC Lions booth to watch Nathan Rourke do what I thought was a great job. He'll never face a tougher situation than that. 33,000 fans in full throat. Probably thought he's going to show up at the game he might play, but most likely chart plays and send in signals. And then he's yeah. thrown into the fire, and I thought, okay, pick six, 28, nothing This kid's cooked. And he's, he showed... Uh, what gorilla monsoon? The old wrestling announcer used to say. He showed great intestinal fortitude to lead <laughs> to lead his team back. And I thought, uh, you know, off and on, you, you can talk about not being, you know, a quarterback in and out of a game. It's not easy to do. I thought he comes back through a nice touchdown pass to Burnham too. Like I give him, I gave him a B in our post game show. But looking at it now, I'd give him an A just for the yeah, way it was. You
1: know, all the, all the all the things considered. Okay um rookie quarterback on the road toughest place to play in in, in the CFL and they given those circumstances no preseason no games and you get put into that scenario now here's the other thing i'll say his performance i totally agree with you he showed some resiliency he showed some mental toughness did he make some mistakes absolutely um we all make mistakes That's a position that you're going to have to make a ton of mistakes in order to learn. But what I was very impressed with was that he, he he never showed any panic in his game. There wasn't any sense where he was dropping back and all of a sudden you see the Russian and he's just running for his life. He never did that. He went through his progressions, went through his reads, got rid of the football. And so that to me tells me a lot about the decision-making. And so that is something that's going to evolve and get better and better. But as far as the skill set, as far as the mentality, as far as everything, I was very, very impressed and proud. I won't lie. Um, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be going into a scenario this week, uh, Ballsy, where the the starting quarterback may be a Canadian and the backup quarterback on the other side is Canadian. So we've come a long way. And yeah, yeah. you know what? It's a, it's, it's a new era. You know what? As proud as I am of of holding on to that last being the last starting quarterback. And for the lions who was a Canadian, that was a long time ago. And it's been a long time waiting to have this scenario. And I'm just thrilled that these guys are finally getting an opportunity to just play quarterback and not have the stigma, stigma around them about being Canadian. Yeah, Just they wouldn't be where they are. They would not be where they are unless they were good players that had potential because Dave Dickinson ain't gonna carry anybody at backup quarterback for Bull Levi Mitchell that doesn't deserve to be there. And the same can be said about Nathan Rourke. Okay,
0: I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to wrap up the Michael Riley thing here. I gotta get that pounded into my head. It's Michael Riley, not Mike Riley. So yeah, Michael okay. Riley Michael Riley comes off the bench and does I think what he did was he settled the team down. What yep. what what does something like that do for the future of the Lions going forward this year? To see a guy like that who is throwing end-over-end ducks, but everybody on the bench knows why he's doing it, but he's in there trying to do it. What does that do for the psyche of the team going forward?
1: Well, it does, it does everything. He's the leader, right? No, he's un, unquestionably the leader of that team. And, um, you know, I think it did a lot for the psyche of, of the Lions. Um, now to give you uh, to give you a little bit of an update, I went out to practice today. I-, I saw him throw today. I didn't see him throw once last week, and I saw him throw today. So and I saw him throw pretty well. So um, you know what? Like again, I-, I think they have all the confidence in Nathan Rourke. I-, I really truly believe that. Like if you ask anybody out there. Oh, you know, Nathan, they're just like, are you crazy, dude? Man, this guy can throw the ball. He, he's, you know, I mean, he, he's a good player. He just needs some time. Mm-hmm. But Mike, Mike provides, like, did you see the poise when he was in there? Like, the ball was fluttering all over the place, but he knew exactly where to go with it.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, you know? I was thinking if the dude could actually throw, look out. Oh. Like, like, the BC Lions, let's be honest, if the Lions had two more minutes left in that game, they would have won.
1: Well, and here's the other part, too. And, and I wanted to make this point earlier, Balzi, is that, you know, whenever, when any time you, you lose a football game, everyone talks about what you didn't do right. But what about let's talk about what was done right. And, and I'll give full marks to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The way they started that game, it was, it was precision. It was – they were on point. They were methodical about the way that they played. And then the way that they played on defense against a young quarterback was tech, textbook. You, you stop them on first down, and then what you do is you attack, you attack the, the, the quarterback with blitzing and force him to throw the ball to his hot receiver, um, and that's, that's textbook stuff. They played unbelievable, but I will say that the Lions give them credit. They were able to at least fight back and, and, and get a chance to, 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 to win that football. You, know, I mean, you think about the, the two minutes, but you also think about the missed field goals. Right, like that. Those were those were big missed opportunities because it also, if you know, all of a sudden, ballsy. If you're in that scenario, they kick a field goal. You're looking at that scoreboard. They're going, oh god, they're one score down now. They're not two scores. They're one score. So it all plays in that mentality um, that you know that carries those momentum swings. And unfortunately for the Lions, they weren't able to finish. But fortunately for Saskatchewan, they were able
0: to close it out. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, uh, Julia, let's talk about the Canadian quarterback. This is a rule that needs to be changed more than any other rule. More than the Rouge. More than no yards. So, yeah. Nathan Rourke starts that game on the bench. He's not the starting quarterback. He starts the, Well, he starts the game, but he's technically not the starter on the roster. So, for that game, he's not considered Canadian. But if he's a starting quarterback this Thursday against the Stamps, he's a Canadian, and they can do something else with an American on the roster. I, I I know why they do it, because coaches will find a way, I guess, to get around the whole, okay, well, we'll just put a token Canadian as the backup or a quarterback. But that doesn't work now on this roster. Like, I... I agree with what you're saying. We've got two Canadian quarterbacks in a nine-team league on a roster, which is great, great progress. I don't want to be Debbie Downer. But this is a ridiculous rule. If you're a Canadian, you're a Canadian. Yeah. Okay.
1: So what I think about this is that, okay, I'll just use myself as an example. Right. Okay. When I first got into the league, I was a quarterback in college, but I also punted. Okay.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So... Um, when, I got, when I got signed by the Lions, I got signed you know that I could, I could punt, and you know what, maybe you come to training camp and you can throw some drills for us. Right. Well, through that offseason, before my first camp, I was able to go out to the workouts, and Joe Pau Pau, who was the offensive coordinator, who was a former quarterback, said, Jesus, this, this kid can throw the ball. So I finally won the confidence of Joe Pau Pau, and then in turn run the confidence of Bob Billovich. So I went to training camp as a, as a quarterback. And um, now, was I the be-all, end-all at quarterback? No, but I could hang with the guys that I was up against. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys were from big American schools. Now, I ended up surprising them and being able, they figured to themselves, you know what, this guy can, this guy can, this guy can be the third quarterback. There's no question about that. And he can punt, which means we got a guy who can back up Louis Pesaglia. And then they said to me, hey, by the way, have you ever kicked off or kicked field goals? And I said, no. And they said, well, we want you to start doing it. So then I got good enough to start kicking off in games. And I got good enough to back up Louie as a field goal kicker. So the more stuff that I did, it kept me around. But what it also did was it enabled me to get better as a quarterback. So eventually, in 1995, when Kent Austin, or sorry, when Danny McManus was here, I won the backup job. I was Danny McManus' backup in 95, mm-hmm. and then I competed for the starting job in 96, and I ended up playing a, a couple of games that season as a starter um, that year. And then in 97, when Adam Rita got here, I was the backup to, add, uh, to Damon Allen. So I had moved myself up the ladder, but that was because I, I could do other things. You know what I'm trying to say? Had I relied on just being a quarterback, I never, they would never have kept me. No matter how good I was, they would have just said, oh, no, he's Canadian, geez, you know, he didn't play against good enough competition, didn't this, didn't that, but, the, but my ability to do other things kept me around. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, if you're going to invest the time in a guy and develop him like they're going to do with Nathan and like they've done that with Michael O'Connor, then you should benefit from that. Yes. You should benefit from that. That if you're going to carry a Canadian at one of those two positions, either he's your starter or he's your backup, you should be able to dress an American somewhere else,
0: or get a salary, or or get a salary cap break, or something like that.
1: So it's whatever, whatever it is. Uh, you know what? It, hey, listen, if you carry the Canadian as your backup, and you're allowed to dress an Amer- another American lineman, or uh, you can dress another American offensive lineman. Do you not think they would do that? Well, in a, a heartbeat.
0: Well right and this is, but this is what I hear I've talked to a couple of agents yeah but ballsy you want uh you want Canadians to play on the field a lot of teams will just hide that Canadian as the backup quarterback no, you, he'll never get can. in there but you can't yeah, do but, that you can't do yeah, that yeah but uh, is
1: you're going to tell me that a coach like Dave Dickinson or Rick Campbell or anybody's going to take the chance that you're going to you're going to dress a Canadian as the backup and say we're trying to hide him
0: no, you I mean, can't. No, no, you, you can't do that. You're right, 100. You, you can't.
1: You're gonna. You're gonna risk your, your your team to say, hey, listen, we're gonna go out and we're gonna dress a a, a kid who's a Canadian and play him as the backup. And you know what? Nothing's gonna happen to the starter. Are you kidding me? No, they would never do that. that if you were to do that, that's gutsy. That is well, really we, just saw,
0: we just saw Exhibit A this week, didn't we? We just saw Exhibit A this past week where yeah. Nathan Rourke has to play because Mike yeah. Riley can't play. So it gives it, and and I'm,
1: not saying, I'm not saying you give the guy you give the guy the job as the backup because he's Canadian, but you've got to believe that he's capable of doing it. It's got to be because warranted. There's got to there, be – there's been a ton of guys that have had the – hey, listen, I in my era, when I was with Larry Justanis and Bob Torrance, those kinds of guys – they could play, but they were never going to give, be given a chance. Listen, I saw Brad Sinopoli play in college, and I saw him play as a pro, as a quarterback. Now, God bless him. He turned out to be, he might be a Hall of Fame uh, slotback uh, uh, because he had turned. But no one's going to tell me what I saw out of him as a quarterback that he wasn't able to play quarterback. There was no way the kid could play, but he was never going to get the chance to play. That's why he switched positions. No. So if you 100%. now have an incentive, if you have an incentive that like you're saying, hey, listen, if we can play a Canadian at quarterback, it may not be the first time out of college. It may not be a guy coming from the University of Saskatchewan or whether or not he's come from Calgary or wherever he's coming from. And that might need the f- first year that he comes in the league. That, but you might say, hey, listen, you know what, in a couple of years, if we keep this kid on the practice roster, we might have a chance.
0: Yeah, see, because that's, I, I, you touched on something there that I wanted to go into here. Because I don't, like Michael O'Connor obviously is there for a reason. Nathan Rourke, we saw, is there for a reason. And, But Michael O'Connor had a cup of coffee in Penn State. Nathan Rourke played uh, meaningful football, won three bowl games in a row. So a little bit of apples and oranges. But Michael O'Connor won a Vanier Cup with UBC. But do you think in Mike's case, he is... Um, Yes, he's got talent, but do you think because he has that Penn State pedigree, even though if it's a cup of coffee, it legitimizes him in coaches' eyes? That's that's it. That's it. You mean you're you're right. It's the it's the it's the
1: getting past the perception that because he played at a big school or a small school, right? And and I I I I, G, I cannot begin to tell you out of all the coaches I had, and I had a lot of them. I had you mean know, guys would come up to me and say, Jesus, if you were born 20 miles south of here, boy, you would have had a career. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is this is the battle that you have, and so, and the other thing too is like, you, you're you're if you're from a smaller school, you have got to you've got to prove to everybody. But if you if you go to a Penn State or a Michigan and maybe you play a handful of games, there's a certain amount of legitimacy that comes with that, and rightfully so. But it does it's not the be all end all, right? It doesn't matter where you played your college football. Look at the rosters. If, if, if that was the case, the, the rosters would be filled with everybody from the University of Texas and all the big schools, but they're not. These kids are from all over the place mm-hmm. because those are, those are your best players. Those are the guys that have risen to the top, and they deserve to be where they are.
0: Yeah, a million percent. Okay, let's uh, wrap this thing up by breaking down this game. The Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions, I guess, a quick uh, quick note. Do you think it's uh, it's Rourke or Riley playing at quarterback?
1: Well, I, I think that right now as it is, they're preparing that it's going to be Nathan. So he's going to as go into the game, I would say, as a starter. Now, having said that, there could be a change. Uh, you know, If Mike goes to Calgary and things keep progressing, that if he's ready to play, he's going to play so that could be that could be something that changes again so but yeah. they're preparing they're preparing as it is right now to have Nathan as the starter which is going to change the game right it's going to change the way that Calgary attacks the game it's going to be it's going to change the way the Lions are are going to attack the game so um, you know from from a, an offensive standpoint if Nathan starts i think you're going to see them try to you know move the pocket a little bit more and try to try to utilize his mobility Get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, and most importantly, ballsy have success on first down. You, I mean, you saw the game against Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Did you see Saskatchewan? Every their first down production was like six, seven, eight yards. Well, then all of a sudden, what do you do? You're throwing hitches, you're throwing yeah. slants, and moving the sticks. You're not asking for Jardo to do much. Right? You don't have to throw the ball 20 yards downfield because you're, the, the defense is, is now right where you want them because they have to defend the run, they have to defend the screens, they have to defend everything. Yeah. So the Lions need to be successful on first down. If they don't, they're going to, again, put the, a, a young rookie quarterback in a tough, tough spot. On second
0: and long. Do you think he gained some? Because here's the difference between Michael Riley in the huddle and Nathan Rourke, and you've been there, so you're a great guy to talk to about this. Uh, it's trust. It's a lack of trust. It's uh, did he? Yes. Did did the quarterback even get the call right there? Did Rourke even say the play right in the huddle? Like everybody's yes. like that. But Do you think he's gained trust now? Oh God, yeah.
1: Well, and and again, remember what I told you. Uh, I, I don't know if it was last week or I told you a couple of weeks ago. The big advantage for him was that he? when he was drafted in 2019, he didn't play last year. Yeah, And now he had a full season, really, or an off-season, to memorize and study that playbook. And how many Zoom meetings and how many things did they go through. And he's a real student of the game. So he studied and studied and studied. He's got that playbook inside and out. Because I think so- that's what
0: happened early in the game. I think he's there. He's in full throat. But I don't care how many mental reps... You're doing. He's in a stadium. They're in full throat. They're loud and everything like that. But you've gone through the playbook in your head. But till you actually see the play in real okay. time, in a real game, you can't get that nailed down. So I think it took a while. And okay. I think, okay, now I he's get, like, oh, uh, okay, I, yeah. okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Now, now I'm going to give you a scenario,
1: a real scenario that happened in the game. What if I were to tell you on one of those second downs and say there was like a second and nine and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders came with a full-out blitz mm-hmm. and Nathan Rourke had to hold on to the ball. And the reason he had to hold on with the ball was because the inside receiver, who was supposed to run a 10-yard out or was supposed to run a 6-yard out, ran it at 10 yards. So now all of a sudden that mistake makes Nathan look bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's not because of a bad call. It's not because of anything that he did. It was because of what the receiver did. But no one's ever going to know that. Nope. Everyone's going to see that everyone's going to see that he either threw the ball and it got knocked down, or that he got flushed out of the pocket <laughs> or, or it was sacked or whatever. They don't see what was on the other end of that.
0: It's funny, you say so that. it's funny you say that because my son, in he's learning the safety position at D1 down at UND, and he said, Dad, the one thing I didn't realize as a receiver now switching over to defense is that you'll see a guy knock the ball down, and you'll say, oh, that's a good play and just go on eating your popcorn. He goes, what you don't know is I've read three, two, one. I've done that in like seven seconds, and no, i got to get over there and bat that ball down. It's bang, 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 and people just take for granted the plays they see on the field, so they see a quarterback mm-hmm. throw a pick Six or see a quarterback throw it into the dirt, and they think it's Nathan Rourke's fault.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't his fault. So those are those are examples, right? Like it makes him look like he's he's either holding on to the ball or he's late or he's this. There's always another side to it, and that's why I love going down and because the game happens so quickly for me while I'm watching it. I don't, but I put like I'll, I'll put a note down, like I'll put a question mark beside an interception and think hmm, that didn't look right. And then when I ask the coach, hey, by the way, on that pick. Did you know? Did such he goes? Oh yeah, no. He was supposed to run a he was supposed to run a dig, and he didn't.
2: And nice. so
3: all
1: of a sudden, the quarterback's you know forced to throw it into a hole that he thinks the receiver's going to be in. All of a sudden, it's picked off, and makes him look like an idiot,
0: mm-hmm. right? It, it, so. It,
1: it, it, it happens, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Hey, it's getting, I like to say this, it's getting late early for both of these teams in this game here. Uh, Calgary's notoriously slow starters, then they pick up steam. The BC Lions, I mean, 0-2 doesn't look good. This is what we like to call a four-point game in a 14-game season. I know it's only game two, but we've talked about this before, early season equity. This is a huge game here. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. But how about, that was what I wanted to ask you too was, what about week one? Yeah. What about Week One? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Now I think too, like the defenses. I think pretty much we all expected that the defenses were going to be out in front of the uh of the offenses. But man, oh man, that the, the Toronto Argonauts' defense—that's for real. Ottawa's defense—that's for real. Yeah, the, the offenses might catch up, but man, oh man, their defense—if they keep playing that way—they're going to keep them in a lot of games. So, but I think if, for the for the Stampeders and for the Lions, what it did was. It enabled them to like. Okay, we talk about a good start, but now all of a sudden you don't have two Western teams that all the Western teams that are already one and zero, right? Yeah. So you got some you got some zero and one Western teams, and you know, as you said, every every it's it's going to be uh, it's going to even though it's week two, it's going to be a game with a lot of importance behind it. So um, you know, I, I expect Calgary at home to, to come out flying, and I ex- expect the Lions to play with a certain level of desperation as well. Um, but what's going to be exciting for me to see the Lions play is that now they've got a game under their belt. Those young kids up front in that front seven, I think, got a real dose of what it's going to be like, and they've learned a lot, and um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of team comes out uh, on Thursday night.
0: Great insight from you, man. I really appreciate the Michael Riley stuff and the Nathan Rourke stuff. Nobody Thanks, can take buddy. us inside like this. Thanks, Thanks, I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, buddy. Well life is busy and people are lazy, so here's a question, have you ever scheduled sex? Now it might sound silly to people who've never done it, but others swear by it. And a lot of experts say it's a good idea too. So how many people have done it? Well they asked over 7,000 people and it's pretty much a dead tie. 38% of adults say they've scheduled sex before and 39% say they haven't. Another 5% couldn't remember if they have. Men were most likely to say they've scheduled sex before. Got me to thinking. You know the birds and the bees talk when you were 13? Why the hell did they pick those species? And how is it that the bee is having sex with the bird? Like, how does he do it? I think your dad should sit down with you at about 35 again and have another birds and the bees talk. Well, son, there comes a time in a bee's life where the stinger just doesn't respond like it used to. The bee used to drop the stinger three or four times a night. He didn't even care what the bird looked like. He was just happy to be doing it. Not so much these days. Once a week, maybe twice occasionally. But there might be some nights where the bee isn't feeling it. It's no big deal, nobody's fault. Now the bird will say it's because the bee is a drinking problem. Because we know the bird is so perfect. But the bee will say the bird is boring. And then the bird will say, well I can try new things. Then the bee is trapped because he might suggest bringing in another bird. And by the way, it's always another bird, never another bee. Too many stingers, as far as I'm concerned. Then things go downhill for the bee. He has to get a lawyer, and the bird gets half his stuff. (laughs) That's life. All right, speaking with BC Lions, J.R. Tavai. Man, as I talk to you, you're just getting out of the cold tub, so that ties into my first question. What's it like to play on a short week, two games on the road after a long layoff and a long training camp? How's the body holding up?
3: Uh, it's a little banged up, but nothing too serious. Um, you know, they have everything we need over here at the facility, so uh, the BC Lions are taking care of us. Uh, but the, the quick switch around is different. It's definitely different. You're playing on Friday one week, and the next week you're playing on the Thursday. It's really crazy.
0: Yeah, how many days, you're a young guy still, but how many days does it uh, theoretically uh, take to make your body feel right, like, you know, that you're ready to play another game? When do you start feeling okay again?
3: Pretty much we have until, I mean, maybe two or three days.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
3: after that, you know, while you're getting recovery, you're also practicing and lifting weights and, you know, trying to stay, stay healthy by eating right and sleeping right. So definitely is the grind to stay healthy during the season. Yeah. Um, and these quick turnarounds definitely uh, have an effect on
0: you. Hey, did you feel like your off-season training uh, prepared you for the season that uh, that you're incurring right now? No, no preseason and everything like that. Did you feel like your off-season training, Jr., uh, served you well?
3: Yeah, uh, it was a long one, so it was uh, it was crazy changing up the routine. The routine, the routines would uh, change up from maybe two months. Of doing hard training and then taking one month off and just uh, you know just staying in shape by just jogging or mm-hmm. getting a quick little lift, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's on and off. You definitely have to schedule your your workouts and your nutrition right um, when the season comes up.
0: You know, uh, in a normal season, I look at it because you guys only play two preseason games, not four like the NFL. I usually look at the first two uh, regular season games like preseason. Was that first game in Saskatchewan kind of like a glorified preseason game? Did you feel kind of like that?
3: Honestly, yeah, it was a nice little gut check. So uh, we came out there in the first quarter. It was a, uh, it was definitely a grind, running back and forth and getting, the, getting back in the feeling of playing in a game. You know, playing special teams, playing defense and then quick little turnaround playing special teams again and then defense when it comes up but um yeah it was a little gut check you know make sure that you know this is something that you want to do and it definitely is Uh, you know i still got love for the game and the game you know got love for me
0: yeah hey so 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 let's go back to week one there in saskatchewan what didn't go right in the first half that seemed to go right in the second half because you guys corrected things on defense as the game went along
3: Oh, you know, coaches did a good job of uh, flipping the script on us. Um, we were running a type of defense that uh, kind of had some gaps in the scheme. Um, they had a lot of RPOs take advantage of our defense. So, uh, second half came out. We uh, we made sure to make our fixes and you know correct our mistakes and we filled our gaps and you know it just took care of itself. And you know we were stout defense. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't beat the Dove. You know, uh, this next game we're gonna try and score on defense, how about and uh, help out the offense.
0: Yeah, so I'll talk about that in a second. You're the only veteran on the defensive line. JR, do you see yourself as a leader? You know, I lead in my own way, but um, these guys are leading themselves. They all take uh, take care of themselves,
3: and they take responsibility for all, everything they do out here. So everybody's a professional over here, so I can't really take too much credit on that.
0: Are you a born leader, or do you become a leader, do you feel? Can you become a leader, or are you just born a leader?
3: Um, I don't know. What's your definition of a
0: leader? I don't know, somebody that sets the tone, somebody that goes out and does uh, the little things right, somebody that uh, you can look up to. I got you. Uh,
3: Yeah, you can definitely learn how to be a leader. I think it takes – I mean, you have to follow before you lead, definitely. You know, you got to follow somebody. And I'm not saying players on the team exactly. Sometimes you you just need to follow like a a good example like your mom or dad, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, it it takes some guidance. But eventually, yeah, I think uh, you can become a leader. Natural-born leaders, that's awesome. That's great. It's fun to see the, the ones that change over time and, you know, experience hardship and then learn from that and then build on it and pass it along to the next generation.
0: Would that be you, a guy that's uh, lear- learned through trials and tribulations to be a leader? I like to, do the,
3: yeah. Yeah, I like to be considered one of those guys, yeah.
0: Um, who in your life taught you to be a leader? I guess another way to phrase that, who did you look up to growing up, either a coach or a mom or a dad?
3: Best stuff. I got a lot of siblings uh, to pick from, so I got a little bit of everything. My mom and dad included. But uh, uh, if anybody, yeah, it's got to be my mom. My mom definitely took care of me. Uh, if you want to call me a mama's boy, that's cool too. But uh, <laughs> she taught me, uh, you know, going through the the hardships is definitely one way to become a, a better leader and a better speaker. Better just experiencing, you know, hardships definitely helps out.
0: Did out did she teach you your politeness? Because you seem like a very uh, a polite guy.
3: Nah, look at that. Picked up on that. So yeah, I could definitely you know, I can't take full credit of that yet. That's all
0: her. All right. Hey, uh, you got brothers who play football? I think one is in the NFL or was in the NFL. Your uncle played rugby for the All Blacks. So let me ask you this question: mm-hmm. Do you think do you think rugby or football is a tougher sport?
3: Oh man, come on now! I <laughs> even have to answer that. Come on. <laughs> I do have a yeah? I have a couple siblings in, uh, in playing football. I have one in Detroit. That's Jelani. He's uh, third in line. Um, I have Justice. He's playing for Hawaii. He's fourth in line.
2: Mm-hmm. I got
3: uh, Jonah. He's playing in San Diego State. He's stiff. And then I have a little brother and baby sister, but they're both in high school. So they're all doing their own thing. And, yeah, we're just uh, a family football oriented. Uh,
0: okay, so let's talk about this week's game. In your opinion, what makes Bo Levi Mitchell tough to defend? Everything you've seen playing against him and watching him on tape.
3: It's Bo Levi, and Come on now. Uh his name speaks he speaks he speaks where I mean volumes over here in uh in the CFL. So uh he's a great RPO, he knows how to read defenses and then he has a lot of good check downs. He's got his receivers everywhere and they, their whole offensive scheme is just predicated around him. So he knows the schemes that they want to run. Their offense is their own and uh you know All we can do is prepare by watching the film they played last week.
0: Hey, what do you like about your defense? You talked about, uh, you know, changing it up at halftime against Saskatchewan. What do you like about Rick Campbell's defense, and and how does it uh, play to your game? You know,
3: it's funny you ask. I was trying to think about that, but um, we, like you said before at the beginning of this, um, it takes leaders to lead this defense, and we have a leader in the secondary, we have a leader in the linebacker crew, and then the D-line as well, but, everybody's coming together and making sure they collaborate on, you know, what we can do better, uh, you know, to better our defense. And uh, no one's really too selfish. I mean, they're selfish when they're going to make plays. I understand that, you know, make your play. But at the same time, like, everybody picks little things to correct on each other. And no one's, like, too big to listen. Everybody listens and, like, takes the, the teachings and, you know, trying to change for, for the better.
0: Now I'll get to Nathan Rourke in a second, but I want to ask you something. How much did Mike Riley trying to gut it out at halftime and play even though obviously he wasn't 100%, how much does that inspire you and, and, and the younger younger guys in the BC Lions?
3: I mean, it was proof that our offense is, is very sound. We have an offense uh, with a great quarterback. Um, I mean, we have Nate as well and he's learning his uh his, uh his ABCs right now, but at the same time, he has no better person to look up to than Mike. Uh, Mike. At the same time, so uh, you know when Mike was out there, it was it was it was relieving. Yeah, it was relieving a little bit, but at the same time, you know uh, he wasn't 100%. But just look out. He'll be dangerous
0: when he is 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Michael Riley, I always forget to call him Michael, but, yeah, he uh, he gutted it out. We knew he's tough. But let's talk about the young guy, Nathan Rourke. You talked about learning his ABCs, and you mentioned something earlier, and it ties into my final question here. Do you have any more pressure on yourself as a defense with a rookie as a quarterback, if he does start this week, like, you know, we gotta make a play, we gotta score to help him, we gotta you know, we gotta tighten things up do you no, feel more no, pressure? No, no, that's
3: definitely what we can't do, no, no, hell no definitely can't think that way um, we've seen Day in practice and he's shined here and there, so we know what he can do, and uh, all we can do is play defense, you know, we don't have to put too much pressure on ourselves, all we have to do is just uh, play the schemes communicate and take care of business at the end of the day, and if we do that then we should be solid enough to give me enough time and enough um you know just enough offensive play to make make the plays he needs to make to score some touchdowns
0: okay last question for you jr and then i'll let you go do you have a game goal or a couple of game goals what's your goal for this week uh, personally i know you want to win the game but what do you got to do to help your team win the football game
3: oh man game goal i mean i have a lot i have a lot but um uh, my, my favorite one is just running to the ball. It, it shows your effort. It shows, I mean, it's, it just speaks volumes. When you're running to the ball, no matter what happens, you get pancaked, get back up, run to the ball. Um, uh, just unrelenting effort.
0: I'm going to squeeze one more in here. What What is the feeling like, a tough loss like that? Because I feel like if you guys had two more minutes on the clock, you probably win that game last week. Is that kind of the feeling around the locker room?
3: Not really, no, 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 we're uh
0: we're taking it, we took everything, we
3: watched the film, uh we listened to coach Rick, uh, he gave a cool little speech, and uh we're just at, I mean, we just took the teachings and we're just learning from it. We can't do anything about the past, uh, but we can do something about the future, so we're learning everything about what we could have done better in the game and what we could have you know taken out or put back put in to the defensive schemes so it's nothing but good things happening, you know. This loss is definitely going to open our eyes to, like, what we could have done and what we could do. So not really looking back at it anymore. We're looking at Calgary. So, uh, yeah, we definitely have a little chip on our shoulder, but at the same time, you know, not too much pressure to
0: go and get our first devil of the, of the year. Good luck, my friend. Uh, hopefully you come away with a victory in Calgary. Thank you so much, Michael. The way athletes are making money these days in professional sports. Don't you look at your little Johnny and say, Oh, there he is, my little RRSP, my little investment there, skating around on the rink. You know you do. Anyway, these are the top signs your kid won't grow up to be a professional athlete. She gets the twisties just from getting out of the beanbag chair. His football teammates compare his throwing arm to Brady, Marcia Brady. Anytime you wanna play catch, he's busy writing his anti-capitalism manifesto. He has excellent hand iPad coordination. Another top sign your kid won't grow up to be a professional athlete and help you retire early. She tore her ACL playing Fortnite. He gets good grades in school, come on. Another top sign your kid won't grow up to be a pro athlete. She's the Michael Jordan of being nothing like Michael Jordan and the top sign your kid won't grow up to be a professional athlete. No matter how much you beg him, he refuses to take steroids. Paul McCallum for the win. The kick is up and it's good!
2: Can you believe that? Redemption.
0: This is Lions Legends. A trip down memory lane with a player, coach, or builder that left their mark on BC Lions history. Time now for our Lions legend segment, and we'll speak with one of the great kickers in CFL history, former Lion and Saskatchewan rough Rider Paul McCallum. Now, Paul, we saw in week one the BC Lions go with two global kickers, and Takaru Yamasaki missed some key kicks that would have given the Lions the victory. How do you see it through a kicker's eyes in a situation like that?
4: You know, one of the great coaches told me a long time ago, Don Matthews, you know, one one player is not going to win or lose the game. And so, if the kicker made that kick, he never he never won the game. The team did because the team got him in a position. And uh, you know, unfortunately, some people might might not like to hear me say this, but when a kicker misses a misses a kick, the kicker didn't lose the game either because uh, you know there's so many other aspects to a game that. Uh, uh, can can help win or lose i mean was there a fumble was there a dropped pass earlier on in the game you know it's just one of those things but you know you got to go and do your job that's that was one of the things i love to do is come out at the end of the game
0: have you ever let that one kick go have you been able to to look through the windshield and not the rearview mirror is that something you never forget
4: well you have to let it go i mean let's face it i mean i missed the pretty important kick in uh, a long time ago and uh, yeah you know uh in 04 and if i had to let that you know sort of keep coming and creeping in the back of my mind i don't think i would be able to play for as long after that as i did
0: does icing a kicker help or hurt the kicker it depends on the kicker i
4: used to love it when they would do that because it would just give me some more time to sort of you know compose yourself and focus and think you know um I think uh, the old thought behind that was you're going to give him more time to get nervous. So it all depends on the kicker. I used to like it when they would do that because, you know, you're driving down the field, the clock is ticking, you got to get out there, you don't have time to think, you just get out and you, you kick it um you know so that part for me um i would have preferred them to, to to call a timeout
0: yeah and how about getting in a rhythm yeah
4: you do i mean it, it's it's one of those things you get out there and you, if you're hitting the ball well you hit the first one do it again hit the next one yeah i've already done this twice and just do it again a third time so yeah it's
2: uh it
4: it, it is uh it is a mindset as everyone knows the kicking game is very um mental um but uh yeah, I think some, some people think that, uh, you know, calling a timeout, icing a kick works, and uh, sometimes they think, well, how are you going to do this three times in a row? But, you know, that's what you do. you got to go up there and just be consistent.
0: What do you remember about the 62-yarder you hit, and did you know it was good when it left your foot? Um, you know,
4: it was kind of uh, – that to me was a, sort of a build-up to things because I think it was a, either a week or a week before that where we had a game at home, and it would have been even a longer kick than that, but, I mean, it was windy, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I had wanted Danny to let me kick the ball, and he said no. And, uh, you know, after the game, he said he didn't know how far he could kick it. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it was, uh, you know, oh, great, he's he's got the confidence, he knows I can hit this. And, uh,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
4: yeah, I, I, I did hit it really well, and uh, I knew once it left my foot it was going to be good. Um, because uh, you know, I worked on some of the longer field goals earlier in that week, uh, so the, the team could uh, sort of gauge how strong my leg was. Um, but uh, it's yeah, that it was uh, it was pretty memorable.
0: What do you think of that watermelon kick by the Cowboys? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it. Really? Okay, so he kick he well, kicks it like a spinner. It's like a wa- they call it the watermelon kick. He just okay. kicks it off the ground and it just kind of spins like a UFO. I guess I guess a better question for you is how much input as a kicker do you have on in on the special team strategy, like an onside kick or, or, or different things?
4: Uh, again, that was very, I mean, I, I can't speak for the other kickers and, and whatnot that, uh, um, I played with, um, during my career, but I was very, um, I was very in, in touch with the special teams and all my special teams coaches. And I'd watch film and, uh, I'd ask to do things. And, and sometimes if I would, you know, ask, they would say, draw it up. And so I'd draw it up and, I would say most of the times there was a few few plays that they would 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 try. We would actually work on in practice. And uh, I would say maybe twice, three times in my career they'd actually they'd let those. They let me uh, actually run it um, because, I mean, obviously you can prepare and put a play in there, but you've got to get the right field position, the right time, the right scenario, and things like that. But uh,
0: Did it work? I, that, did, did, it. did most of the time it work, Paul, when you did try it? Because I find special teams very robotic. They do it a certain way and a certain way only. And that's why I think that, that spinning watermelon kick, as they like to say, worked against the Falcons because the guys didn't know what to do. They looked like third basemen waiting for the ball to go foul. They didn't attack the ball because it was coming in a weird way. Hey, did, did most of yeah. your strategies work?
4: Yeah, um, I, w- I would say so. Uh, there was, a, 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 let's see, there was a kickoff that I, I put together where um, you know you come out of the start of the half and you would have your regular kickoff team, but the other team would have their regular kickoff team, but you'd line up on an onside position, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't know how to to line up. They didn't know where we were going to go with the ball, but we had three different options on what we we're going to do with it. And uh, you know that, that's something different. So when you when you throw something different that the the other team has been not prepared for for the whole week, then uh, you know put, like you say the watermelon kick and assuming it puts a glitch in things. You know, I, I think it's a copycat league. You put the ball in the right <clears throat> excuse me. You put the ball in the right hash. You want to kick the ball deep outside the numbers, close to the sideline as possible to pin them. Well, as soon as you line up, they know where you're kicking the ball. They know where your guys are coming from and everything else. So. You know, if you put the ball on the right hash and instead of kicking it there every single time, if you kick it somewhere else, do something different, then you're actually putting them in a different, difficult situation. So, you know, once in a while, it's good to throw throw a little uh, hook in there and put the other team off balance.
0: Paul, when you were growing up, who did you idolize in football? Like, what turned you on to the game of football? I know you had the soccer background, but uh, what turned you on to the game of Canadian football? Uh,
4: you know, to be quite honest with you, it wasn't one particular person. You know, I mean I had the B C Lions living up the street from me. Um, you know, that was a kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I like I like watching the big plays, the fast the fast game. Um, so it, it really wasn't it wasn't one in particular player. Um, you know, I, I remember Joe Pow Pow, Merv Fernandez, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was John Pancratz and of course Louie. So yeah, it was uh, it was just the, the whole thing of going uh, and watching a game and, and you know learning the game actually. So it was. Uh sort of a gradual process for myself.
0: You know, uh, you're about the same age as me and I remember all those names you mentioned and that was back in the day when BC Place was just built and we only got one NFL game a week on our TV and it, you know we didn't have the internet or anything like that. So we were really like we were really into the CFL game 50 60,000 fans going to watch the West Final between Winnipeg and BC. How do we get the kids turned on to the Canadian game again, Paul? And maybe it'll never be to that extent. How do we make it big in B.C. again?
4: Yeah, well, to begin with, you can have all the high schools playing Canadian football. Um, it's It's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, you know, when, when kids are going to school, um, you know, if they're hockey players, they're looking up to the NHL players. Uh, if they're football players and they're playing in B.C. anyway, they're, they're playing 11-man football, and if they're playing a tight end, which, you know, we really don't have per se the same style of a tight end up in Canada, um, then they're not going to relate to a Canadian game, a uh, player that is. So I think to start with, you need to have the kids playing the Canadian game so that when they're watching the game on TV, they're watching the Canadian game and they're not watching the NFL. I mean, it just it starts at the grassroots. Um, and uh, I think from there, you know, because the players are so accessible. When a, when a player that they've watched on TV shows up to their school, you know, those types of things, you know, they mean a lot to a little little child that's uh, growing up and wants to play sports.
0: Yeah, I mean in BC you've got a lot more uh, m- a lot more to compete with attention-wise. You played in Saskatchewan and were, you know, pretty big name here. You went out to the schools, you did a lot of things. You saw the passion here. Is it possible to translate the passion here from the grassroots all the way up cuz kids want to be rough riders. They want to be at Mosaic Stadium or the old Taylor Field where you played. Can we trans can we transfer that in BC? Do you think that's possible because I always hear it'll never work in BC. It's never going to work there.
4: Well, it's a, it's a negative thought process. I mean, you are up against a, a huge marketing machine in the NFL, but that's just what it is. I mean, it, to be honest, it's quite sad. If you walk through the Vancouver airport, you see more Seahawks stuff than you do BC Lions stuff. It, it's, I, I just don't think that the marketing uh, has been what it needs to be. Uh, you know the, the TV commercials. I've seen TV commercials for the CFL. They're not even. They've got actors jumping to catch a ball, or yeah. and the guy doesn't even fit in his pants. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's it, it sad, really. Yeah. I mean, the the way that they they market the league as a whole, I don't think is very good. I, just, uh, it is what it is.
0: I talked to John Ryan about this, and he agreed. There aren't as as we talk about kickers, there aren't a lot of great kicking camps here. Like we always talk about. Special teams is a third of the game, but I find special teams isn't really a third of the game. It's lost. Like you probably, at least probably when you play, maybe it's changed a bit. You don't coach it. You know, you don't spend as much time on it in practice. You don't, you, you, you kind of slough it off. The, the coaches slough it off in practice. I even find it at the grassroots level. Like I don't find a lot of good, good kicking camps in Canada. Have you ever thought about doing that? Have you done it? Maybe I missed out on that.
4: I uh, I've thought about it but it's it's actually quite difficult because when you're kicking if you think about it if I've got 10 kids um you know and I've got 20 balls well each kid kicks two balls then they got to go get the ball mm-hmm. and bring it back for the other two kids and you know if I've got five kids it, it's just one of those things where um the patience level of learning how to kick if in a group setting it, it's it's hard and so for example myself having five kids you know how many uh, if all of them are kicking at the same time I'm really not doing them any justice so it's kind of a very individual thing so as far as having a camp goes it, you know it, you'd have to have almost uh, one coach for two kickers and you know a hundred footballs and yeah. maybe their little brothers and sisters grabbing the balls to bring them back yeah so there's a cha- there is a challenge there but that being said you know I think what would be more helpful is going out and having the, um, you know, like somebody like myself, which I have done, is going out and coaching the coaches mm-hmm. because there there isn't a lot of, you know, kid uh, or, you know, peewee football coaches that have the knowledge because they're, you know, it's offense or defense.
2: That's and, right. Uh,
4: you know, so, sometimes I've gone out and watched high school games when I was in Regina even. And, you know, I remember watching there as an onside kick. And I was like, you know, there's just little things that the details make the difference when it comes to uh, all aspects of football, but those details are always spent on offense and defense.
0: What kind of advice would you have for a young guy that is interested in kicking, but like you said, there's not a lot of tutelage. There's not a lot of uh, direction in that aspect. It's kind of go over there and kick kid and we'll bring you on when we have to. What kind of advice would you have for a young kid like that, trying to become the next Paul McCallum, John Ryan, Brett Lowther, that type of guy?
4: Um. Try and be part of the team. Um. You know, when I when I uh, played junior football, I was like a you know, third string receiver. Yeah. Um. You know, they never they never wanted to put me out there in case I got <laughs> hurt. But at the same time, you know, with my soccer background, I was fast. I could run. I could catch. And so I'd go and have fun. And you know, you get to sort of, you know, you not you don't have to go spend all that time, uh, you know, just by yourself in the corner. Get out there and do some of the drills with the receivers, the DBs, or. Just just to to be involved because you can't kick all day. So, yeah, um, you know, when it comes to that, you need to actually, you know, be part of the team.
0: Hey, uh, help me out if I'm right here. When we're talking 11 or 12-man football in BC, wasn't one of the bullshit excuses about the size of the field and where they put the goalposts as to the fact they couldn't play 12-man, they had to play 11-man?
4: Well, yeah, but I think that's actually a fact. Really, I mean, when you think, yeah, well, if you think about it, the NFL, and the, well, the fields that they have, um, they've got the goalposts at the the, uh, the the back. Right. So, you know, if you're playing a Canadian game and you missed a field goal, well, you can't run out of the end zone because the ball's in the parking lot. Right. Yeah,
2: I guess so. Right.
4: So <laughs> that's, that, that is a valid valid point. But that being said, it's, uh, uh, it's still, I think, the, the, the communities need to change that and, and figure a way to get the goalposts where they need to be. Take care, buddy. All right, you too. Take care, boys. Bye.
0: Time now for Homegrown, a segment featuring an amateur athlete, coach, or builder helping grow the game of football in B.C. All right, it is our Homegrown segment here on Restore the Roar. We're talking with the quarterback whisperer in B.C., as I like to say, right. Jay Chuck, as he's got his uh, camps now going on, what, 28 years for the quarterbacks? 28
5: years can you believe that wow it just consecutive years it just keeps on flying by and you know what this uh last camp that i had last weekend i was just as excited driving and getting organized for that camp as i was the first one 28 years ago so still love it still uh have a tremendous passion for it and um Get excited uh, every time I think about uh, my next quarterback camp.
0: Where does that passion and excitement come mm. from after all these years? Because it would be just human nature to get mm. bored. Yeah, you know what?
5: I think it's 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 because I'm you know rolling over different people all the time, so there's different challenges all the time. I might go to you know Kelowna one day and have. Uh, you know 10 different quarterbacks that have different styles and different ages and different strengths and different weaknesses and just to go into a camp in two or three hours or a couple of day camp and just try to improve them just try to get them a little bit better so it's always always a challenge to um, you know get these young people better always a challenge to you know, develop them as people and make sure that, you know, I'm also a high school counselor, right? So I mm-hmm. really do stress the education and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, they're working as hard in the classroom as they are on the football field as well. Right. But you know what, it's just, it's a, it's a kind of my passion and it's something that, um, you know, I, I just love doing and I've always loved. It. And like I said, the camp last weekend was just as excitable for me as the one 28 years ago. Right. So new challenges all the time, new kids, New parents, new um, situations that uh, are always going to be a challenge. So I look upon it as a challenge and I look upon it as a tremendous challenge to, you know, to improve these uh, young people as uh, men and women and, uh, you know, get them hopefully to the next level as well.
0: More difficult to coach today's athlete than back when you started 28 years ago or even 15 years ago. I find that the athletes, and I've coached too, not at your level or in terms of your length, but I've coached high school, I've coached minor football. I find coaching now, they question you more and not in a, not in an insubordinate way, but in a way of like, okay, coach, but why am I doing this? Whereas when I played, it was like, go do that, and that's what you do.
5: <laughs> that's a, that's exactly right, and you know what? I think it's a little different with a team situation, but with my receive, you know, with my camps, I also, of course, run receiver camps to get a chance to have, you know, guys like Paris Jackson and G. Roy Simon and some of the, uh, you know. Um, uh, Lamar uh, was helping me. Durant was helping me a little bit with my camps as well. And so, you know what I think? I think in a team sport, it is a little bit different. And you know, when you're out there every day with a football team or a basketball team, it certainly is different than when we played. But this kind of individual breaking down the individual position, they don't really have. To, I don't really give a chance to <laughs> to question the situation or question this. I and I always preface the camp at the beginning. I say, you know. Hey, I know your coach, you know, especially for the older kids, right? Your coach probably teaches you this way, right? Your coach probably wants your feet to be in this position or that position. But, you know, I just want you to give this a try, right? After doing this for so many years, you know, having it as a passion and having it as something that I do every day. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't, you know, do some football stuff or do some quarterback Uh, stuff. And so I will always look at, you know, bettering myself and of course, you know, improving and bettering my clients. Right. So I'll say, Hey, you know, this is the way that I've done over this, all this research and so on, talking to quarterback coaches, talking to quarterbacks, talking to the, you know, the Travis Lulays of the world and all these different people. And this is the way that I've kind of, you know, developed this process and, you know, try it, just, just try it. We're going to be here for a couple hours, maybe send me some video of you, throwing or uh you know playing in the next little while but fine. they're like they're usually like oh oh yeah coach that works i say yeah yeah (laughs) works, right so it's a little bit of a trust factor maybe too as well so it uh it certainly is again a challenge and uh it is a different type of athlete than what we were used to certainly when we played sports
0: yeah so how has the quarterback position changed in terms of maybe uh you know just how the position is played so to speak
5: Right. Well, I you know I think that uh, what offenses have developed when you're looking at the you know the Baltimore Ravens and you see the Lamar Jacksons, or when you see you know the Russell Wilsons, maybe a little bit earlier in his career. I think that I know that coaching defense as well, coaching defense and coaching a running quarterback is not necessarily a scrambling quarterback, but a quarterback that will run the ball like a Lamar Jackson or or you know Russell a few years ago. Those are the that you don't really account for that guy very often. So, you know, you don't necessarily need the the best athlete as a quarterback. You don't need the fastest guy or the strongest guy, but just a guy that can, you know, read defenses, read, read a handoff and read kind of a bubble if he's going to give to, say, the running back going over right tackle or, or can he keep it and, uh, you know, get four or five yards. And that just puts so much pressure on a defense when you have a quarterback that... You know, can run the football right, and then of course the other thing that's changed with offenses is is, is the RPO game, right? The R run pass option game, right? And you know that's a, kind of a new dimension, obviously, to offensive football. And with new dimensions, also comes new fundamentals and new techniques. And so now I've had to, in the last four or five years, go on ahead and you know really learn about the RPO game and learned about the feet and proper feet and making sure the quarterback has his feet in a proper position to, you know, to, to throw the ball properly. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess a yeah, running quarterback and RPOs have really kind of, you know, changed, changed the game quite a bit. Do you, and do made, you
0: think, more do you think Jay, the days of uh, we'll talk CFL here, ricky ray or anthony calvillo or in the nfl peyton manning who just went into the pro football hall of fame uh, you know a peyton manning or a tom brady or a philip rivers yeah. do you think those days are done where you just have the stoic stand-in quarterbacks even bo levi mitchell to an extent here
5: yeah well you know you've got the guys like you know the other day god how many yards did zach calaris run around the other day yeah <laughs> the other night right like i mean it was a track meet for him, right? And he didn't. They weren't all positive yards. I mean, they were just. He was just buying time, right? But my goodness, he must have run a couple of miles in that in that particular in that opener for himself, right? So you're right. It seems like the quarterbacks now the Calaris, the Cody Fajero, the uh, Bo Levi, those kind of guys. They're just kind of buying guys that can kind of buy a little bit of time, right? Can can kind of move around a little bit in the pocket. They're not necessarily. Runners, but they're scramblers, and they're always. You watch those guys. One key thing to those guys that are playing that nickels, those kind of guys is, you know what? They're they're always focusing down the field, right? They're not running. They're not scrambling to run. They're scrambling to get the ball down the field. And I know Russell Wilson. I've heard him so many times talk about whenever he scrambles he's always looking downfield first, right? See, let me stop Mahomes. you. Let me stop
0: yeah. you cuz you mentioned you you mentioned Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson as your first two guys. Tell yeah. me if you tell me if you agree with this. I think Russell Wilson is a quarterback that is an athlete, okay? I think Lamar Jackson is an athlete that plays quarterback. I don't necessarily think he's a great quarterback. I think he's a great athlete. Who can make some, but not all of the throws? I think Russell Wilson can make all of the throws, but he's also an athlete.
5: I totally agree with you, absolutely. And you've got guys like that that, um, you know, just drives drives. uh defensive is crazy when you
2: have have
5: guys like that and then of course we have the Patrick Mahomes of the world as mm-hmm. well right who mm-hmm. you know Patrick Mahomes and I tell all the quarterbacks this in my camps. Patrick Mahomes is the worst nightmare for a quarterback coach because he just you know he makes those throws that you're not supposed to throw he his his, his style sometimes sidearm throwing diving throwing our throws that we just don't teach and don't like to teach. we teach not to do that stuff and here <laughs> here's that number fifteen for Kansas City, making all these throws, so the kids of course, see it they 're like, "Oh man, I can make this throw. I can throw across my body, I can throw across the field." Patrick Mahomes throws it sixty yards across his body and uh, Get to completion. Why can't I kind of do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so, so but I mean, as a the,
0: coach, yeah. as a coach, Jay, do you like when do you know to say, okay, <laughs> okay, he's not supposed to do that, but he can do that. I can't overcoach him,
5: right? Well, I mean, you know, that's one part about being an athlete that is got to be that you have to that athletes have to understand is their limitations, right? I mean, you know, even back when I played, I knew I wasn't a big scrambler, right? But if I had to gain a few yards here and there. I could do that, but I wasn't, you know, that we didn't run the option or run a lot of sprint out or bootleg stuff because I just wasn't that kind of athlete. So I think the athletes have to kind of realize their limitations as well and know that their strengths, what their strengths are. If you're a pocket guy, then you're a pocket guy. But I think it's nice to have that combination. I mean, when you talk about, you know, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and guys like that, we are talking about the very, very best in the entire world, right? So... Um, you know, when you come back to the CFL level, you you look at guys like the guys that are playing in the, in the, in the West. I mean, Mike Riley is a little bit of an exception, but you know, all the guys, Trevor Harris, all those guys can move around a little bit and kind of buy time and make plays and gain, you know, five, six, seven yards on a scramble anytime kind of thing. Right. So I think those are the guys that you really, you know, like to have in that position that can, you know, that can can make something out of nothing. And, uh, you know, use their athleticism, but they're not going to, they're not going to, that's not their bread and butter to go, you know, run all the time. And that wouldn't be the same for a young quarterback, right? You're not necessarily going to, you know, sell your, your, you know, your whole offense on, you necessarily running if you're if you're not a runner so you you definitely have to know your limits as a as an athlete and the coach has to see that as well
0: so take your uh, football cap off if you can and just look at it as just a guy watching football but pr- maybe you can't do that maybe the lines are too blurred what's the co- who's the quarterback you could sit down and watch his tape for uh, hours and hours what quarterback really uh makes you salivate either either former or or right now
5: gosh you know that's so drew Brees. yeah i mean there's there's a guy that's not that tall right you got drew Brees, who's six foot only six foot but his fundamentals are just incredible and i we're gonna miss him right and i know that you're right when i watch a football game nobody really watches football with me because i'm rewinding and going forward and slow motion and taping it and putting it on instagram and this and that it drives people nuts when they watch a game with me right so you know you you look at the The uh, Drew Brees of the world. I mean, he was just a guy that um, was just, you know, just phenomenal, just so fundamentally sound. And of course, myself, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually grew up in Regina. And of course, in those days, I got a chance to see Ron Lancaster play, right? So, you know, I kind of modeled my game after him a little bit, where, again, obviously not the biggest guy, but a a tremendous leader and just the, you know, the smarts, the football IQ that that man had. And, uh, What he was able to do with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I obviously saw that firsthand growing up scene. You know, guys like him and Tom Wilkinson and Bruce Lemmerman and Ralph Dieter Brock, right? I don't know if we could, do we call him Ralph or Dieter. I think today? you call I him know. I think you call
0: him Dieter, but yeah, Ralph yeah. absolutely. I love that sidearm I love that sidearm cool. delivery. One thing I liked about Ron that every quarterback needs, you need to have a short memory. He he, he told me once <laughs> there's no string on the football. Once it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> and you can't be scared to throw the next interception.
5: Yeah, that's hilarious. Isn't that isn't that so true, right? And he uh he certainly played that way right because there was games yeah when he threw a lot of interceptions but kept on fighting back and uh you know he battled all the way to the end right and there was of course some great rider games growing up in taylor field and you know as a little little guy growing up in taylor field and watching you know him and ron lancaster and hugh campbell and bill baker and cleveland van and all you know and on and on and on with the names right it was just a what a great place to grow up and and watch football as a
0: kid. Okay, so I'm going to uh, ask you this question here as, uh, as it relates to uh, what we're seeing in the league. We've got nine teams and two of Canadian quarterbacks on a roster, which is great mm-hmm. progress. Michael O'Connor, the backup in Calgary, and Nathan Rourke, who uh, was pressed into duty in week one against Saskatchewan, and it looks like he could be a starter or be right there for this game against Calgary. But let me ask you a question here you're uh, you're now coaching at SFU which is American football but you coached at UBC SFU alum um, do you think in Michael Connor's case because Rourke played in the states but do you think in Michael Connor's case he is living off of his cup of coffee with Penn State I guess where I'm going with this is will we see a Canadian quarterback? You know, born and bred from Canada, get a legitimate shot in the Canadian Football League, or do you believe you know there is a a, a coaching bias? Because I think I think Michael Rourke's just as good a quarterback leading the UBC Thunderbirds to a Vanier Cup as he was when he was recruited by Bill O'Brien to Penn State. But I feel like he's living off his cup of coffee with Penn State. Yeah,
5: you know what? I mean, Michael O'Connor, I got a chance to work with him, of course, for a few years at UBC, and. You know what I'm gonna tell you? I, I have never of all the over fifty years of coaching, I have never ever seen um, over forty years coaching, sorry. I have never ever seen a individual work as hard as Michael O'Connor or be such a student of the game as Michael O'Connor or like he was always the first guy on the field. He was always the last guy. I used to videotape on my iPad, every single throw that he made in practice. And he would take that iPad and he would take it home with him and he would look at that and he would, you know, kind of evaluate his situation. I remember the first practice at UBC that we had, I just kind of sat back and I said, I'm just going to watch you throw. I'm going to watch what you do. That night I got home and I typed up two pages of notes for Michael, like just all different things, like his stance, his cadence, his demeanor in the huddle. Just follow through where his feet were. Two full pages of notes, and I got to practice the next day. And I said, Michael, did you? Um, actually, it was a couple of days later. Michael, did you get? Did you get the notes I left? And he, he goes, Coach, I typed them out there on my bedside table. I read them every night. Thanks so much for all that information, right? And so, you know, here's a guy. Yeah, he played at IMG Academy in Florida. You know, he played. Obviously, at Penn State, he, you know, for a pro-style quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. O'Brien, like you said. And then, you know, coming to UBC and playing for Steve Barato and winning the Vanier Cup as a first-year guy. And here I here I come in, you know, a year later, and he's like, who's this? who's this coach kind of thing, right? But right away, he's like, coach, I love it. So here's, you know, an individual like him that, why is Michael O'Connor successful? He's Canadian, but he's in the CFL it's not necessarily where he's from i wouldn't care where he was where this michael o'connor was from i care about the fact that this michael o'connor was was always to was always striving to be better always striving to improve his game always looking for coaching always looking for an opportunity to throw always looking for a chance to watch film, always looking for a chance to design new plays or learn new plays or know the offense in and out. So, you know what, I, I just think that he's just such a special individual. I don't really know Nathan at all, but I've seen, obviously, watched him play the other day and a rough start, certainly, but it was nice to see him get on track with that. He passed on the left sideline. and uh, But after that, you know, I just um, I, I look back at Michael and, and see him just as being one of the most special athletes as far as his work ethic and his dedication and passion to the game. So
0: I guess where I'm going, Jay's you're a great guy to wrap up asking us to, because uh, you know, I, I get it. They're both talented guys and, and that wasn't meant to diminish anything. Michael's done or anything Nathan Rourke's done. Right. They deserve to be there, but you're at the grassroots, man. You're on the ground floor. You teach these young kids, but at a certain point, they're going to be told you got to be a running back, a defensive back, a receiver like a Brad Sinopoli. I don't think that does any good for the game. I think the CFL needs to look at the big picture and grow the sport by investing in the most important position in sports in North America the quarterback.
5: Absolutely. And there's no question about it. And I think it's all, you know, like you said, though, we play, you know, high school football in. BC, we play American football, right? So we don't get a chance to develop the passing game quite the way that uh, the Canadian coaches and Canadian high school uh, folks do, right? But you know what? We um, I I agree that uh, you know we need to do a better job at the the ground level and uh, the grassroots level and teach these these young guys um, you know proper throwing mechanics. And I just don't know if there's enough of them out there, right? Or if there's enough that really Want to get better? It's funny because so many like I'll get a call probably the next month or so I'll get a dozen requests. Oh, can you coach my kid? He starts football tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, I, you know what? Yeah, of course. I'll help your kid, but you know what? In two hours with me, and you know, twenty-four hours later he's starting on the field. It's a twelve-month process, right? It's,
2: mm-hmm. You, you got to
5: get to the camps. You got to get better. I don't care who. If you go to a C.J. PrepCheck at his quarterback camps, or if you go see other quarterback camps, but you got to start the process early in the year you got to start the process i don't mean you have to you know dedicate to just playing football and not playing other sports because of course we like kids to play you know there to be multi-sport athletes, right but you know what you you just can't pick it up and play the hardest position there is in sports overnight and expect to you know be fundamentally sound and then once you get into the season it's, everything's happening right there's guys coming at you There's plays to memorize there's you know handoffs to give there's routes to throw and stuff. How can you work on your fundamentals? I just told my quarterback that just now, like half an hour ago out on the field. Hey, I'm not going to get a chance to work very much with your fundamentals because we're going to be busy, you know, running plays and reading defenses and doing other things. But if you want to work with your, me on your fundamentals, I'd be happy to do that after practice. I'd be happy to, uh, you know, work with you after on your fundamentals. So, I mean, that's kind of a word of advice is that get, get, Get your fundamentals down well before the season. Get your fundamentals down well before, uh, you know, you get on get on the field. And guys like no, you know, in Regina, my goodness, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, Pickton would is still around, right? And he would love to, to throw the ball around, mm-hmm. or some other guys, or uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just had a kid from, I just had a client from Winnipeg come out for three days of training, and it, you know, kids from Prince George come down for three days of training and Vernon, so. You know we can make it happen for you, right? And I'm not, again, I'm not pumping or selling my camp. I'm just saying that, you know, to play quarterback, it takes it takes a lot of work, a lot of work, and it is a 12 month process, and it is a throwing the ball, you know, almost every day, and then, you know having a tremendous passion for it. And I don't know if a lot of us necessarily do, right? You know, again, Michael O'Connor was unusual, unusual, that his passion for for the game. There's kids that love the game and like playing. But to have that passion to be able to, you know, put that much time and effort into it is is something very very special.
0: Well, Jay, you are here to kind of pump your camp. That's why I got you on. Where can they get a hold of you? Uh, a hold of you if they want to do that? Yeah, any Instagram,
5: Twitter, Facebook. Um, I know kids are never on Facebook anymore, as we know, right? But yeah. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, uh, my website. Is- Google J Prep check and uh, there's not too many J Prep checks out there, right? So they can, my number's up there, and I'd love to be able to get back. I was in Regina a few years ago for a camp, and Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and, uh, you know, try to make my Canadian rounds. Of course, this year was a little abbreviated for obvious re- reasons, right? But I'd love to get back out to the prairies and run a camp and uh, and make it happen. We don't need a lot of kids, four, five, six kids, and, and we can have a good... Uh, A good camp out there. So, yeah, just Google my name and uh, feel free to contact me anytime.
0: Jay, thanks for this. I appreciate it and all you do for the game of football. This has been Restore the Roar Podcast. If you have a story idea you'd like the guys to pursue, email Michael Ball at mball at (laughs) harvardbroadcasting.com.